Psalms 137. Let's see where this goes this morning. And I'm going to read it, and then we'll go through the background of this psalm and draw some principles out of it. Verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us a songs, and our tormentors merged, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then the psalmist asked a question in verse 4. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Let's stop there. How can we sing the Lord's songs in a foreign land? Let me get a little background of this psalm. Most scholars believe this psalm was written, written during the Babylonian captivity, and some say, no, this psalm is actually looking back and remembering this and writing this psalm. But regardless of which place it was, he was at when he wrote this psalm, what were they doing in captivity? Why were God's people in captivity? If you remember when God chose for himself a people, after God chose for himself a people, God gave them the law and he made a covenant with them and said, if you will do this, I will do this. But when you break my commandments, if you break my covenant, you will be punished. You will be taken off into captivity. And we know from reading our Old Testament how that after the nation Israel was born, there came a time in David's life when he became king when God gave his people rest from all of their enemies. But Solomon, his son, came along, and the Bible says that Solomon, even though he was the wisest man in the world, he took many foreign wives, and those foreign wives introduced foreign gods to God's people, and God does not put up with idolatry. You are only to worship and serve him. And because of his sin, the kingdom was split into two. You had the ten tribes in the north that was called Israel. You had the two tribes in the south called Judah and Benjamin. They were called Judah, but it was Judah and Benjamin. And so the Assyrians ransacked the northern kingdom. And just as God had promised, the Babylonians came. I think it was around 586 B.C., and they ransacked Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They took the captives away into Babylon. And this is where the psalmist finds himself. He finds himself in a foreign land. He finds himself where... The temple has been destroyed. Realize this, listen. Back in those days, the temple is where the very presence of God dwelt. 
And so it was at the temple that the sacrifices were made. It was at the temple that the great high priest went in and made atonement for the people's sins. And all of a sudden, all of that is gone, and God's people are taken into a foreign land. And so we see the place they find themselves. He says in verse 1 again, he says, it was by the rivers of Babylon. Now, what was Babylon? Babylon is what we'd call nowadays modern-day Iraq, and it was ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you realize that Babylon is mentioned more times in Scripture than any other city except Jerusalem? Now, Babylon was a city, but it was also a province, okay? It's kind of like New York, New York. New York City is in the state of New York. So we got Babylon actually in Babylon. And when you first see the word Babel, which is where Babylon comes from, we see it in the book of Genesis when the the people decide they're going to build a tower and make a name for themselves. And it was at Babel that God came down and confused the languages. Now... When we think of the term Babylon, and we study the the city, the province of Babylon in the Old Testament, we know first and foremost it is pagan in every form of their society. It's pagan in its literature, it's pagan in its education, it's pagan socially, and the prophets would describe Babylon as a city of pride and a city of idolatry. And when you look at the Hebrew word Babylon, which comes from Babel, that word means, it means to be confused, it means to be confounded, it means to be defeated. Think about it. And so while the historic Babylon was oppressor of God's people, new Babylon is oppressors of Christ's church. Because think about it now. When you, there's one other book in the Bible where Babylon is very prominent in the New Testament. And it's in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, Babylon is an anti-Christ society. It's an anti-Christ religion. It's an anti-Christ educational system. It's an anti-Christ entertainment system. It stands in complete opposite. It stands in complete defiance of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And listen, what we're seeing today is we as God's people, we are in the midst of spiritual Babylon. We're in the midst of people that are confused. They're confused about their sex. They're confused about their identity. They're confused about who is the one true God. They're confused about where you find peace, where you find joy in in, in your life. That we are living in a land that is just like Babylon in the Old Testament. We're living in a land that is anti-Christ, it's anti-God, it's doing everything it can to indoctrinate your children, to indoctrinate your grandchildren in the ways of the world. 
And so this is where the psalmist finds himself. And I believe more than ever, this is where we find ourselves. We find ourselves living in Babylon. We're living in Babylon. And you see, not only the place where they're at in this text, we see the posture they take at this place. Look at verse 1 again. He says it was by the rivers of Babylon. What did we do? He said, we sat down and wept. What does this speak of here? It speaks of someone that is overwhelmed with their circumstances. They're overwhelmed with what's going on in their life. And all they can do is sit down and weep. You ever notice when somebody's going to give you bad news, what they say? They say, you better sit down. I'll tell you something, you better sit down. And so here he is. He's in a foreign land that's oppressing him. He doesn't like his situation. And so what does he do? He sits down, they sat down, they wept because it appears that their situation is hopeless. Now listen, I understand the challenges that I have been facing the last 18 months when I come up here in this pulpit because I'm dealing with people that all they get is this right here, the Bible. Some of them. And all they do all week long is stare at their screen. They stare at a news channel. They listen to the Babylonian world. And they come into God's house and they're so discouraged. They're so hopeless because they have not got into the good news. All they've done is got into the bad news. What are they looking for? What are they longing for? Look what he says here, verse 1, still again. He says, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Now, what is Zion? Zion is, or was Jerusalem. It is the city of God. It's where the temple was located, where the very presence of God dwelt. And so what are they longing for? They are longing for how it used to be. They probably are thinking about their homes, how they used to live in homes. They're probably thinking about their business life. They're probably thinking about the temple worship. And when they look at it, they realize all that they have now is memories of what is now a pile of rubble that came about because of the Babylonian destruction of their city. And so there, in the midst of Babylon, they sat down and wept because they're thinking they're longing for Zion. How many times have we heard people say, 
I'll be so glad when it gets back to normal. Listen, I got news for you. This may be normal now. I know you didn't want to hear that. I know we, didn't, we don't want to believe that. But here they are. They're longing for Zion. They're longing for how it used to be. And even though they appear to be in a hopeless situation, if they would read the Old Testament prophets, they would know that it was not hopeless, that God was not through with them. How do we know this? Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. This is what Jeremiah told them and prophesied to them. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you to bring you back to this place. In other words, God said, yeah, you're going into captivity. You're going into a foreign land. But when the time has come, at the right time, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you, and I'm going to bring you back to this place of Zion. And you know what? When the right time comes, Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to get us, and he's going to take us to be with him, and everything is going to be all right. Then he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. And so what God was telling them through the prophet Jeremiah is, listen, you're going into captivity. You're going to be there for a certain amount of time, but I am not finished with you. And I'm going to tell somebody today, listen, I know we're in a situation where it seems hopeless. It seems like the world is spinning out of control. It seems like all things are in chaos, but God is not finished with his church. He is not finished with us. He that began a good work in us will perform it until the day that Jesus Christ is going to call us home. And so we see they sat down and wept. Not only that, look at verse 2 and 3. He says, upon the willows, in the midst of it, we hung our harps. We hung our harps. For there our captors demanded us of songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So they've got to the point where they have sat down, they're overwhelmed by their emotions, and they have hung up their harps. What is significant about a harp? Well, if you remember, there's two really things that I can tell from the Old Testament about the harp is, first of all, let's get this one out of the way. The harp was an instrument that brought comfort to people. Okay? You remember when you read the story of Saul, how that evil spirit came upon him because he disobeyed God, and what did Saul do? 
He said, get me somebody that would come in my presence and just play the harp. And they got David. David would come in, and when Saul was tormented by the evil spirit, David would play that harp, and it brought relief. It brought comfort to Saul. Yeah, it did. It sure did. Do you know when you are tormented by fear, when you're tormented by worry, it would do some of us some good to get out the word of God and begin to read it, and it'll bring comfort to your soul. It'll bring peace to your anxiety. But not only was this heart a source of comfort, it's also a source of praise. Is also a source of praise. That's what they used to praise God with. And so here we see that they are in such a desperate situation that they have literally hung up their harps. Now listen, there's two different schools of thought here. And, I, and when I preach the word of God, I want to get it right, okay? I, I, I want to be truthful with it. Now there's one school of thought that says, well, the reason why the Levites hung up their harp was because they were not allowed to do this in a foreign land. It was only supposed to be done in the temple. And that may be true and that is true, okay? So that's the reason why they hung their harps up. Because the tormentors were saying to them, hey, why don't you sing us one of those songs of victory? You know the songs of victory you were singing as we were coming into your city and ransacking the place? Why don't you sing us one of those songs of victory? And we see the world today telling the church, why don't you sing us that song of victory? Look at your face. Look where you are. Look at the mess that you are in. Where is your God now? That's what they're saying to us. Here's where it's better because whereas the old covenant, they had to go to the temple to give their sacrifices. In the new covenant, and also in the old covenant, you had to be a Levite, a priest, those kind of things. Under the new covenant, my Bible tells me that we are a chosen generation we are a royal priesthood we are a holy people for God's own a people for God's own possession so why so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you are saved today, guess what? You don't have to go to the temple in order to offer up sacrifices of praise. You can praise God no matter where you are. You may be in Babylon right now, but you know what? You don't have to hang your harp up. You can get that harp down and you can offer praise to God for what he has done. Do you realize that the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. That means if I'm at work, I'm in church. If I'm at school, I'm in church. If I'm in a fiery furnace, I'm in church. If I'm in a prison cell, I'm in church. And so we should offer up sacrifices of praise to God no matter where we are. Now, I wasn't planning on getting excited today. I was going to try to talk to you, okay? 
So let me calm back down for a second. Let's go to the next thing. They ask a question. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we praise God while we are in this mess? How can we praise God when all that's going on around us? Look what the psalmist says in verse 5 and 6. He says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue clean the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Why, do, don't, why don't we praise God? Why don't we still sing a song? I would say this, it's because we've forgotten. Okay? What have we forgotten? We've forgotten all that God has done for us. We have forgotten all that God has done for us. Let me tell you something. God only owes you one thing. There's only one thing you deserve from God. And that is hell. Okay? Only one thing. See, we're raising a generation of people nowadays that think this country owes them something. And they've done nothing to invest, to invest in it and to make it better. And we got people that say, everybody owes me something. And we got saints of God saying, God owes me this. God owes me that. See, every single one of us, when you sinned, you deserved hell. You deserved God's wrath. But God, in his goodness, sent his son to die on a cross for you and for me. And he kept all the rules he did it perfectly, and all he says is this, if you will put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done, I will save you from my wrath. And a lot of us come in, I'm talking to myself as well, and we get here and we say, God, you owe me something. I'm, I'm here today. That should be good enough for you. No, God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. The very breath I'm breathing is borrowed from God. And if God allows me to live one more week, I'm going to come into God's house regardless of what happens, and I'm going to praise God for who he is and what he's done. The psalmist says this. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. What is the benefits that God has blessed us with? Who pardons all your iniquities. Hallelujah. Praise be unto God that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. God forgives 
all of my sins, as great as they were, as great as they are, God has forgiven me of all my sins. And it says this, who heals of all your diseases. You say, what, how are you going to get out of that, preacher? Well, let me tell you this, okay. The number one disease you had in your life is the disease called sin. If you get cancer tomorrow, guess what? Guess what? If you get cancer, you may not survive that, but as a child of God, you go into heaven. If you get some other disease tomorrow, guess what? It may take you out of here, but you know what? You're still going to heaven. But if you don't have the sin of disease cured in your life, you can be healthy, you can be wealthy, but when you close your eyes one last time, you're going to hell. The greatest disease I had was the disease of sin in my life. And he healed that. Next, let's continue on. Who redeems your life from the pit, from destruction. That's what I talked about a while ago. How that we've been redeemed from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. You know what a crown does? A crown, a crown surrounds you. Right? It's a circle on top of your head. What the Psalms are saying, you know what I'm surrounded by? I'm surrounded by God's loving kindness. It's that Hebrew word hased. We know what hased is, hopefully. It's God's mercy. It's God's mercy on your life. It's God's mercy on my life. Compassion is his grace on our life. Dave would say this in Psalms 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he goes on and says this, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so what I'm saying is this, if you're not singing a song today in the midst of Babylon, it's simply this, you have forgotten what God has done for you. See, Hebrews 13 and 15, the writer of Hebrews says this, Through him, then, let us occasionally offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Don't say that. Through him, let us, when we feel like it, offer up a praise, a sacrifice to God. Through him, when we get into God's house, if we've done it right, if everything got answered the way we want to answer it, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. No. It says let us continually offer up a sacrifice. And you know what a sacrifice is this. It's not something that's cheap. That means it's something that you've got to put forth some effort, some unction in. Too many of us, the only time we praise God is when they play the right song, when, we, when everything went well, and we don't realize that, listen, as a royal priesthood, there's times that we don't feel like it, and let me say this, I guarantee this, some of you in the morning when the alarm clock goes off at 5.30, you don't feel like going to work. You don't feel like eating healthy. You don't feel like 
washing the dishes. You don't feel like a lot of things, but you know what you do? You do it anyway. You do it anyway. Why? Because it's what you're supposed to do. Do you always come to church just because you feel like it? Well, some people do. But there's times I don't feel like being up here. I don't feel like coming to church. You know why I do it? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. There's times that I may not necessarily like the beat of the song. I may not necessarily like how fast it is or how slow it is. But if the words are true and they're biblical, then you know what I can do? I can sing a song unto God because it's not about what I want. It's worship that pleases Him, not worship that pleases me. Think about it. It's not about what did I get out of service. It's what did he get out of service. Okay? So when I go leave out of here, it's not, well, did you, do you feel better now? No. It's, did I please God when I came into his house? Because let me say this. Praise begins with a decision. The psalmist will say it like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. And so the psalmist said, listen, I have determined that I am going to praise God. I'm going to bless him at all times. And his praise will continually be in my mouth. Look at Psalms 150. Let's go there just a second. Look what the psalmist says here. He says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. What is that telling me? That tells me first and foremost that praise is not limited to a location. If you're in the sanctuary, you know what you do? You praise God. If you're underneath the heavens, you praise God. It's not limited to a place. Then he says this, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. And so what do we, why do we praise God? We praise God because of who he is and what he has done. Then he says this, he says, verse 3, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with the timbre and dancing, praise him with string instruments and the pipes, praise him with loud cymbals, Praise Him with resounding cymbals. And so praise is not limited to a certain practice. You can praise God on the cymbals. You can praise God on the loud cymbals. But just let me know if you're going to do that because I want to bring me some earplugs. But it's not limited to a certain practice. And then he says this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so it's not limited to certain people. We praise God regardless of our circumstance. We praise God regardless of the place we find ourselves in. 
And so there's a question I got for you today. You come in and play. And where's your harp at? Where's your harp at? You say I don't have. A, I'm talking about where's your spiritual harp at? Have you hung up your praise because you find yourself in a foreign land in unfavorable circumstances for some of us it's time to get our harps off the tree it's time to take our hearts back down and it's time that we exalt the Lord who is worthy of all our praise Now, we are the people that we say this, well, when I feel it, I'll do it. No. You do it, then the feelings will follow. You do it, then the feelings will follow. And it would do some of us some good, I believe, if we would shut off the world this week. And we would get into God's word this week. And then when we got up in the morning, instead of complaining about all the things that's going wrong in the world, if we would just simply lift up those feeble hands and strengthen those weak knees and say, you know what? It may not be what I want it, but God is still good. It may not be like I like it, but God is still good. See, if Paul and Silas in Acts 16, if in the midnight hour in a prison cell, if they can say to each other, hey, why don't we just praise God? Why don't we just sing praises of God? In the moment they begin to lift their hands and praise God, God delivered them out of that prison. Now, let me say this, because i got to be honest with you. It may not happen to you like that. It may not. You may praise God and may get worse this week. It may do it. But I tell you this, when you praise God, you'll be able to go through those circumstances regardless of what's going on. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me read three more verses, okay, and I'll, and I'll quit. Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 17 through 19. Look what Habakkuk says. And Habakkuk was struggling with God because he could understand, God, how could you let the wicked Babylonians, who are worse than we are, how could you let them come in and take your people captive? Don't understand it. And this is how, how he concludes. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no fruit. Though the flocks should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. 
what Habakkuk is saying is listen it may be bad outside but it's not bad on the inside because I'm saved I'm a child of God I've been redeemed by him there's nothing this world can do oh this world may kill me but but for me to live as Christ and to die is gain child of God it's time that we get our hearts back off and it's time we have hope in this world because Jesus Christ is coming again and he's going to set everything right I'm tired of the hopelessness the reason why you're hopeless is because you put your hope in the wrong thing you put your hope in Washington. You put your hope in a man. You put your hope in a movement. And God is telling us, you can only put your hope in me. And when you put your hope in him, you may find yourself in Babylon. But you know he's still in control because verse 19 is just standing. He says, the Lord God is my strength. He says, the Lord God is my strength. Look what he says. And he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. Now see, to me, that makes no sense. What is hinds feet? Well, let me explain it to you. Hinds feet is the feet of a deer. It's the feet of a gazelle. You ever seen a deer, try to, if you try to put a deer in a pasture, put a little fence around it, ain't going to work. No, them things can jump and leap over fences, right? And when he says, when you hear the voice out of your salvation, he's going to make you strong. He's going to make you strong. He's going to give you peace. He's going to give you joy that you'll be able to walk on those high places. You'll be able to walk on those things that you think are impossible to conquer. That's what you'll do. Come on, sing.